This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Well, that wasn't your best, but I'm going to let you sit down. That sounded like the Falcons just lost. I don't know. Best shout ever. Man. Thank you for being here. I got on the screen what I want to talk about today that has burdened my heart. It's burdened my heart for this reason. Uh, I've been in ministry 30 years, meaning preaching for the last about 30 years, uh, almost every Sunday morning. And I think in ministry, we kind of call this Super Bowl Sunday. In other words, on this day, resurrection, we put our best foot forward, our best people out, our best clothes on, and we try our best to preach our best sermon. So hopefully by giving you all of our best, you'll come back and give us another shot next week. I would just like to tell you right now, that is a pressured way to live. Three of you believe that. That, that is a pressured. I do hope you walk out today and feel loved. I do hope you walk out today and say, those are some of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. But my goal today is not to impress you with our church. My goal today is to introduce you to the extravagant love of Jesus. And when you walk out the door, to never think the same again. Because you understand what he did for you. Today is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate it. My belief is Resurrection Sunday is not a day. It's every day. It's the life of Jesus in you, dwelling up, living out. For those of you that are visiting and you may want to come back, we're doing a study in the book of Acts. And every single week we go through the book of Acts and we're looking at that power of the Holy Spirit. But today I want to talk to you about shame and how much power shame has over the life of a believer. Once you understand this today, it helps you begin to kind of make sense of the whole Bible. It helps you make sense of the stories in the Bible, what's happening in the Bible. It helps you make better sense of the parables that Jesus told. And so here's what I want you to think about before we look at this thing called shame. Three days Jesus was in the grave. And it makes you wonder, why not four, why not seven, why not twelve, why not just one? I mean, kill him off 24 hours later, bring him back. Don't make him stay three days. But if we go back and really look at the root of the problem that Jesus came to remedy, we are going to find three things that Jesus has to deal with. And when he deals with all three of them, it frees up a life to live perfectly what you've always been intended to live by God. This is why there were three temptations. Because Jesus is going to have to deal with the three things of the original problem. This is why there were three days and nights uh, in the grave. Because Jesus has got to lay to rest. What you heard Ryan say in communion, it is finished. He has to lay to rest these things. The reason he has to lay them to rest is he's going to bring you back into a place of belonging whereby you can accomplish everything he always wanted you to accomplish. Genesis chapter 3, if you'll turn there. We're going to read the Bible today. Are you okay with reading the Bible? 
In other words, I'm not just going to pop one scripture out and say amen. We're going to read a little bit. I believe you can't go wrong reading the Bible. In my personal opinion, the Bible reads better than I preach. Five of you believe that. I'm getting better. Like the first time, it was like four people. Now I'm up to about eight. Before it's over, everybody's going to shout. That's almost all of you. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Listen to this. It's on the screen behind me. Genesis 3 verse 1 and the New Living Translation. If you have a Bible app, you can pull up the New Living Translation or you can follow along on the screen as I read. I want to talk to you about the three things Jesus has done to bring us back home to Him. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day He asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. I want you to do me a favor and just underline that word shame. That's one of the first things God's going to have to deal with in the resurrection of Jesus. When he goes down on day one into the grave, he's going to deal first off with this one thing. He's going to deal with shame. Read on. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is just for those of you that love to study the Bible. Here's a thought. It wasn't an apple that they ate. My opinion is they ate a fig. And the very fruit that they ate was the very thing they tried to use to cover themselves up. Oftentimes, the very shame that we're ashamed of is the very thing that we're literally holding on to to try to cover it up. And so they try to put it on, and this is what it says. Verse 8, When the cool of the evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's what shame does. Shame causes you to hide. Shame makes you feel like God doesn't like you. Shame makes you feel like you'll never please the Lord. Shame is about regret. Shame is about confusion. Shame is about wishing you could change the way things were, but you can't. And so they're hiding out among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman. Hmm. Sure, I don't know if you speak in tongues, but that'd be a good time to start right there. <laughs> it was the woman. You gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, Do you notice the three things he's going to have to deal with? The woman, which created shame. The man, which brought the guilt, because they both rebelled. And then he's going to have to deal with the serpent, who now holds the power of death over you. You see, he's not in the grave over the weekend just to kill a weekend. 
He didn't die on Friday night. Well, I think I'll come back on Sunday because that is the Lord's day. He went into the grave three days because he's going to deal with three things. He's going to deal with shame. He's going to deal with guilt that produces punishment. And he's going to take the power of the devil that holds now death and he's going to cause him to be defeated so eternal life can become yours again. Do you see this thing we call resurrection three days in the grave? He's not just down there twiddling his fingers. The Bible said he made his way down and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. What are those keys that he's taking? Are they literal keys that he's unlocking the cells? Maybe so. I'll give you that. But I think the keys he's taking back is the key to shame that says you don't belong. The key to guilt that says God's going to punish you because you'll never be good enough. And the key to eternal death that Sal says if you'll just believe in me, I'll let you live forever. That's a good Jesus. You should have shouted right there. He's better than we give him credit for. See, this isn't just a story we make up called Easter. He's literally having to accomplish something. Now listen to what he goes on to do. He says to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the wild animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I'll cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He'll strike your head and you'll strike his heel. Now he's already starting to look 4,000 years in the future when I'm going to remedy this problem. And he said to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Come on, women. Whew. I hadn't seen a woman yet birthing a baby that said, I like this. And in pain you'll give birth. And you were, you'll have a desire to control your husband. But he'll rule over you. Do you see what shame starts doing? Shame creates pain. Shame causes you to want to be in control, but you can't. Shame causes you to want to rule, but you can't. And then it goes on. To the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. Anybody ever been there? Feel like you just struggle month to month? Never can get freedom, paycheck to paycheck, nothing's ever working. It's just all part of the curse. You've never understood what the Lord's trying to do for you. To bring you to a place of belonging. Well, if you belong to Him, all your needs are met. If you belong to Him, He calls you His own. And if He calls you His own, you better believe as a father, He will take care of His children. He goes on to say this, verse 18. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you'll eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust. This is just a thought for you, for those of you that like to study. You're made from dust, and to dust you will return. But what did he tell the serpent you would eat? He said, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. Do you see what shame does for you? Shame literally causes your life to become food for the devil. He will literally feast off of you if you give shame to him. He will follow you day in and day out to tell you how sorry you are. Your shame becomes his food. He will tell you you'll never make it. You'll never come out of it. You'll never be who God wanted you to be. You're just going to have to live this way the rest of your life. It is what it is. There's nothing ever going to change. You were raised this way. You were born this way. The abuse that happened to you. Your uncle did that to you. That's going to be your identification mark the rest of your life. That's the way this shame works. Shame. Now here's the, here's the weird thing. This shame that we're talking about in Genesis 3, is different from the shame we think about today. 
Because the, the shame we think about today is based on culture. Culture sets the rules, and then as long as I live the cultural rules, I'm not ashamed. But here's the problem when shame is connected to culture. The moment we start feeling shame, we change the rules and change the culture. Because we can't handle shame, so we just change the rules. Come on, anybody in here used to live in 1970? Did you ever think what would be happening today would be happening in 1970? I never thought a little boy would be thinking he was a girl. And even if the little boy thought he was a girl, the mother would have said, Honey, you're not. You're a boy. And now in 2019, if the little boy thinks he's a girl, well, bless his heart, he must be there for a girl. Do you see the shame that we used to have? You remember when Ellen DeGeneres came out of the closet years ago as a lesbian? And we just literally lost our buckets. Like, oh my gosh, there's actually a lesbian human on the planet. Oh, the planet's going to hell now. There's a lesbian woman. And we just fell apart. Christian people falling apart. We banned, we banned television. We got so angry. Because that's just such a shame. Oh, see, now we'll cut television off not to talk about Ellen, but we'll go back to the buffet nine times for gluttony. Do you see? Because shame is just different. I'll shame her for being a lesbian, but I weigh 500 pounds and I'm going back to the buffet. No shame in that, baby. It's a buffet. You see, it's cultural shame. It's what I present to be bad versus what I present to be good. That's why we will shame you for being a murderer or an addict, but we really don't talk about the shame of gossip, but yet Paul lumps them all in the same category. A murder and a gossip in the same category. Well, that doesn't even make sense to me. So you see, we're not talking about cultural shame because when there's cultural shame, we shift the rules. In other words, what's acceptable today wasn't acceptable 25 years ago. Smoking weed 25 years ago meant you had went off to Woodstock and you burned your bras and smoked a doobie. Today, smoking weed is just like, that's like smoking a cigarette. Everybody does it because culture just changed and now it's acceptable. But this is not that kind of shame. You know how I know? There's nobody else here. So when it says there's shame, what are they ashamed of? There's nobody to shame them. There's nobody to point a finger at them. There's nobody to say, what did you just do wrong? It's just their relationship with God, which now tells me the core of all of our problems. Shame is not about what you wore, what you did. Shame is about the position that the devil puts you in, that you'll never be accepted by God, that you'll never measure up to God, that you will never know the presence of God, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try. So you know what we do? We just make fig leaves and try to hang out. Now here's where it gets more interesting. The three things he's having to deal with if we read on, and let's just do it. Let's just read on. And verse 20, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the Lord God said, look, human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? They will live forever. Here's the three things that the grave of Jesus had to deal with. The shame that says you're not worthy, the guilt that says you are the problem, and the death that we had. If you don't believe it's still here today, I would present this to you. Shame guilt and death are still very much alive. Just go look at the obituaries in a newspaper. Death is still here. 
No matter good people die, fat people die, skinny people die, old people die, young people die. It's part of the original curse that Jesus had to do. And he had to come to answer these problems. So as you read through the Bible, things begin to make more sense now. Why does it seem like the God of the Old Testament's ticked at everybody? It's like he's mad at everybody. Opens the earth, kills you, floods everybody. Even people who don't know God like to use this. I don't want to serve a God that kills babies. And then they talk about a baby killing God of the Old Testament. And I'm like, why are you so mad at God? He told you what would happen. He told you in Genesis 3, if you disobey me, you die. So when you all start dying, why are you mad at me? Are you mad at me for telling you the truth? And then we think, well, you should do something about it then. Why do you let this hell continue? And he's like, I am going to do something about it. I also told you that in Genesis 3. So while you're here pointing a finger at me of all the anger and hell and death of the Old Testament, why don't you just know that I told you the truth and then when you're upset that I'm not doing something, why don't you give me a little bit of slack and cut me some slack to get to 4,000 years down the road so I can do something about it? I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to deal with the shame, deal with the guilt, and deal with the death. And so what do we do? If you read on in Genesis 4, it gets really interesting because now shame and guilt start playing out. Like you can literally watch it play out. Like in Genesis 3, it's a story that happens. And then in Genesis 4, the punishment starts happening and the shame because now Cain kills Abel. So now we see here's the punishment. Well, there's death. But then it gets really interesting. And I know we've wigged this verse out and taken it out of context. But if you read about Cain, the Bible says that when Cain murdered his brother and the murder of his brother happened, God came down to deal with him. And Cain's like, man, my punishment is just too much to bear. I can't bear this punishment. And what was the punishment? God was going to banish him away from his presence. And Cain said, I can't handle that punishment. If you do that, they're going to kill me. So what did God do? God placed a mark on his head and said, well, now I've marked you. Don't worry, they won't kill you. But what it also does is it tells me something about God and how a principle has been established in humans is that God took a man and marked him and the moment he became marked, he was marked because of a shameful thing that he did. And now we are professionals at marking you with shame. We do. We just lump you right in a category. Well, you're gay, you're addicted, you're mean, you're fat, you're skinny, you're this, you're ugly, your breast smells, whatever we can do. We just lump you into categories because it helped. Now watch. If I can put you in a category of shame, it makes me feel better about myself. In other words, if I can shame you, it makes me feel better about me because I can hide my shame while I try to expose your shame. That's what humans do. I don't know if you're a political pundit and you follow it all, but please don't be so naive that to think one party is more holy than the other. Both humans, whether what party you are or not, come on, we all have shame. We all just bear it a little differently. Some of us are a little more proud than others. But here's the strange thing about shame. 
It started out that we tried to cover it with a fig leaf. And then we tried to mark it on the forehead to really identify it. But if you follow it all the way through the Old Testament, what happens is we wind up with this. We wind up making rules to try to cover the shame. God says, here's ten rules I'll give you. And if you can keep them all, we're good. We broke the first one before he even got through writing the tenth one. So here's what we do know about shame. We make rules and don't even keep them. Take God out of the equation. You're a rule breaker to your own rules. Losing weight this year, it's February and you've already gained weight. You can't live your own rule, much less a heavenly rule. Your very own rule. I'm going to quit getting so upset on 285. I'm going to conquer this devil. And then you're losing your ever-loving Christianity on 285. You're giving the middle finger to people, screaming at people. And now you feel guilty. Why? Because anytime you break your own rule, shame comes knocking. Well, you can't even live your own rule. And then we just start believing, well, that's right. And so instead of focusing on all the rules I break, I just focus on the ones you break and I compare myself with you. And as long as I'm better than you, I feel good about myself. I just feel better. I'm doing better than you. If I'm doing better than you, man, I feel good. And Sunday morning is the place we do it our best. I put on my best clothes. I smile. I use spiritual words. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. We call each other brother and sister even though we can't stand each other. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How are you? Great. Wonderful. Yeah, but you're, you're hiding the fact of your shame. You're, you're religious behind a fig leaf because the truth of the matter, you're addicted. You're still looking at porn. The truth of the matter is you're angry. The truth of the matter is your marriage is falling apart. But see, I cannot come out. I can't take the fig leaf off because the one thing about shame is I don't want people to know my nakedness. i got to cover this thing up because if I uncover my shame, I'm going to feel naked. And even today, come on, if you don't think it's real today, just get a teenager and just watch how they live. Not a teenager. Take anybody. Take a woman. Not many men, but a lot of women. Let's take a picture. Okay, no, Dad, that's too low. Okay, we're 6 pounds lighter. Keep going. 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds lighter. Right there, Dad, that's 30 pounds lighter than I really look. Snap it. Snap. Do you know how skinny you look when you take it from here? Even I look like I need to go eat. If I take it down here, you're like, man, he's huge. If I take it right here, you're like, bless his darling heart. If I take it up here, you're like, dude, he's been going to the gym. <laughs> Same fatness. I just changed the perspective. You see, we're great at that as humans. We have all this shame, but we try to change the perspective. We try to fake the smile. We try to fake all this stuff because I don't need you to know my garbage. I don't need you to know I struggle. I don't need you. Why? Because religious people will kill you if we find out you struggle. Why? Because here's what we've done. We've left the fig leaf. We left the Ten Commandments because they didn't work. And now we've had thousands of years of religion. And now we use religion. And religion has become the best shame gamer of them all. Because what I present to you that we call church has turned into a religious game of trying to keep the rules to keep each other at bay. Because here's what I know about shame. If I can keep you in shame, I can control you. 
You see, even as a pastor, if I can shame you into it, I can control you. If I can say to you, I hadn't seen you in church, you better get in church. The devil's going to get you. You better come up here and get up in church. Oh, you'll come to church, but you'll come to church in shame. Well, I guess i got to please the pastor. He's going to call me, and I don't want... And if you don't believe that's true, I walk down, I walk down Arbor Place Mall. I see somebody that hasn't been in church in a while. I'm actually excited to say hello to them. It's so good to see you. They're obviously not near as excited to say hello to me because they see me coming and they hop into Forever 21 and start just kind of, you know, hiding out. There's the preacher. I don't want him to know I hadn't been in church in a while. I already know that. I already know you hadn't been in here in a while, and I'm not even going to talk to you about that. I'm just basically going to say hello. But shame says, oh, my God, here comes the preacher. Where am I going to go? Duck into Victoria's Secret and hide out. I'll just tell you this. Don't hide out in Victoria's Secret. I have five women in my home. I'll be in there. I'll find you. I'll be hanging out with all the panties. What's the preacher doing in here? He's got five daughters. He's got a woman and four daughters at home. If you want to hide out, go hide out in, in like in our sports academy. I don't ever go there. You want to hide out, go to Dick's Sporting Goods. You'll never see me there. So if you're in sin, go there. I won't be there. <laughs> but, but my issue is we are professionals doing the religious game. We call it church Sunday morning. And the truth of the matter is I often wonder are we really here to cause you to be free or really here to keep you bound to me because you owe me something. Because if you don't come back, I need the tithe money or I'm going to go broke. i got to pay the bills. And then even religiously, I shame you into tithing. Oh, what, you don't tithe? No wonder your life's going so bad. You better tithe or the devil's going to get you. Oh, God, I better tithe or the devil's going to get me. Oh, there's my tithe. Ah, tithe. Ah. Devil preacher said devil's going to get me if I don't tithe. It's easy to guilt people into that. It's easy to shame you into doing something. It's easy to put the shame on you. I can't believe you didn't come to church. Shame you into not reading your Bible. What, you hadn't read your Bible in four days? Shame on you. What, you don't tithe? Shame on you. And we just put all the religious rules there for you. Why? Because it makes us feel holy. We throw all of our religious rules out. We put a denominational perspective on it. Some denominations you can't drink, you can't chew, you got to wear makeup, no makeup, kind of makeup, bun on the hair, tight pants, no pants. However, some churches seem really free, speak in tongues. Other churches, no way, baby, you talk in tongues, that's of the devil. Some people anoint you with oil. Some people slap you with oil. Some people just dump the whole thing, a tub of oil on you. But we got religious rules. And to me, Sunday morning is the most religious ruled place ever. Because I've been doing it for 30 years and I bump into people all the time who though they go to church, they still live in shame. Apologizing all the time. Well, I'm sorry I didn't come to church today. Quit apologizing. If you want to come, come. It's about relationship, not rules. If you want to tithe, do it because you love the Lord, not because you're trying to keep a rule. If you want to shout, shout because you love the Lord, not because some praise leader guilted you into raising your hands. If you love the Lord, raise your hands. But see, we're professional. If you love the Lord, you would raise your hands. It's almost like somebody put a gun in your back. And we'll even tell you that. The reason you raise your hands is we're going back in the cowboy days. They said, stick them up. Put your hands up if you love the Lord. Oh. Right? Versus they just go up because you've been forgiven. 
I tithe not because I'm afraid of God. I tithe not because I'm afraid the devil's going to get me. I tithe because I love the Lord. And I want to honor him with the fruit of the stuff he's given me. That's why I come to church. Well, I come here because I have to preach. But if I wasn't preaching, you're like, you have to come to church. Uh, that, that doesn't work. I got to get them back that one up. I would come to church if I wasn't preaching. Why? Because I like God's people. I read my Bible every night, not to keep the devil away. A verse a day keeps the devil away. No, it doesn't. The thing that keeps the devil away is the cross of Jesus. A verse a day doesn't keep the devil away. But I read every day. Why? Because I want to know him more. Not because I'm afraid if I don't read my Bible, he's up there going, well, about five minutes, we're going to send all hell on him. I mean, really. We are professionals at religious rules. Professionals at it. We throw the rules out there, and for those of you that can only keep two rules, we got a special class in the basement for you. We're going to get you up to about six rules. For those of you that can keep seven rules, you're probably going to be a deacon or an elder. For those of you that keep ten rules, baby, you can come on stage. Right? We do it that way. We literally do. I'm not saying it doesn't pay to live godly, but I'm just saying maybe a lot of our godliness is born out of trying to fake the shame rather than being godly because of a relationship of love with the Holy Spirit. Come on. So when Jesus died, he had to die for the shame. He had to say this, um, and this is mind-blowing, I mean literally. And I, I, I'm going to show you a scripture in Hebrews in a minute, but it literally just blows my mind. Mark, yes, Lord. Okay, we need to talk. Okay, I'm listening. Son, mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do to earn my love. Okay, God, wait a minute. There is, because I'm going to church. Surely that makes you proud of me. Reading my Bible every day since 1989. I have not quit reading my Bible yet. That's the honest truth. Since 1989, I've read my Bible every single day. That ought to count for something. I was down here last night till 7 o'clock on my hands and knees with a Brillo pad. Scrubbing dead doo-doo off toilets. Yes, I just used that word in church. Because I wanted you to know there was nothing about it I enjoyed. But the cafe next door had been a year and a half with dried poopy stains and pee stains. And I wanted people to be impressed because I didn't want them to come to Easter and go, don't flush there. Stay away. So I scrubbed. I had a Brillo pad, bare hands, just on my hands and knees, scrubbing. Scrubbing those toilets. They're so shiny now, even Jesus is like, that's a good job. I would sit on that throne too. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I texted Chris last night. I said, Chris, I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know if, I know we don't get into heaven because of good works. I said, but if he is keeping record, I think after tonight, I at least got priority seating. <laughs> Wouldn't some of you just at least like to get a backstage pass? Like, I know I don't get eternal life, but come on, I've been working hard down here, God. At least a backstage pass to behind the glory cloud. I don't know. I mean, I feel that way sometimes. And then I have to remind myself there's nothing I can do to earn his love. And that hurts. 
Because sometimes it's hard as a religious person to truly believe he could love an unworthy person as much as he loves me. Because I feel like I earned it. And it's hard to look at people who don't live it. It's hard to look at people who snub their nose at God. It's hard to look at people who live alternative lifestyles and not somehow deep in my religious brain feel like I am just a little bit better, aren't I? A little bit. I mean, I know I have my problems, but I don't have that problem. I know I have my weaknesses, but I don't have that weakness. So maybe, God, you do feel a little bit more favorable toward me, don't you? And for those of you that have been in the religious game a long time, isn't that a struggle sometimes with us that have been in it a long time? Like I feel like he owes me something now. I've served you my whole life. And he goes, well, I loved you just as much before you served me. No way. I've been reading my Bible since 1989. Oh, and by the way, Mark, I'll love you just as much if you put it down and never read it again. What? what? You've got to be kidding me. I've quit smoking. I've quit all of my addictions. I've... And the, the reality of no more shame today is not to tell you that it doesn't pay to live godly. It's to tell you that sometimes what we call godly is not lived out of freedom. It's lived because of guilt and shame. The efforts that we bring to God are just done because I don't want somebody looking down wrong at me. Feeling like the preacher has preached at me. I'm the problem in the room. I'll just help you out. We're all the problem in the room. Now here's something I learned and it was hard for me to learn. Is that Jesus forgave me before I was ever born. Come on. Jesus forgave me before I was ever born. Because what I'm going to read to you in a moment is that His sacrifice that He made on the cross was eternal. Meaning past, present, and future. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago... He forgave Mark Evans and I wasn't even a blip on the radar yet. And I was already forgiven. The moment he says the sacrifice that I gave is eternal, not only did he forgive Mark before I got here, but he forgave Mark who's already here right now. He says, I'm so powerful, I can forgive you now. But the, the, the price is so powerful, not only did he forgive Mark before I was born, and Mark while I'm living, he's already forgiven the Mark of the future that may blow it or may fall apart. Why? Because his forgiveness is eternal redemption. And here's what blew and blows my mind. He forgives me before I ever ask. Or come to Him. And I hear that all the time. Hey, you need to come to God for forgiveness. No, you don't. You're already forgiven. He holds nothing against you. He simply asks you this. I hold nothing against you. My arms are wide open. I have no, every bit of your guilt I took upon myself. Every bit of your hiding I took upon myself. Every bit of your punishment I took upon me. All I'm asking is, I've already forgiven you. Would you but just turn to me? And if you will turn to me, I will welcome you back home. If you will turn to me, I will give you eternal life. If you will 
will turn to me, I will grace you with my freedom. But I want you to come to me because you understand you're already forgiven. I don't want you to come to me in guilt and shame. I want you to come to me free for all who are there, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty. Come to me and find life. It is a strange thought that I'm already forgiven. It is a strange thought that there's nothing I can do to earn his love and forgiveness. I feel like I need to grovel at his feet. Poor pitiful me. Please forgive me. Please, Father, forgive me. He says, what are you talking about? I already did that 2,000 years ago. I've just been waiting on you to come home. Well, I feel like God's mad at me. What do you mean mad? All of his anger was put on Jesus. He's not mad at you. His arms are wide open saying, come on home, kid. I'm ready to receive you. I'm ready to call you mine. I'm ready to welcome you home. I'm ready to say, come into the freedom that I've always had for you. Ready, we can walk together and talk together. I'm just simply waiting on you to come back. You once were lost, but now you're found. I once was blind, but now I see. And you see, there's just this pressure, religious pressure. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to close with this thought. I want you to read it and see it with your eyeballs. Because it's just mind-blowing. Because it really touches on the whole thing. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 2. Let's just start at verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. I wonder how much of that is Sunday morning. Week after week, guilty. Week after week, never good enough. Coming week in and week out, but your conscience is never really clean. If it could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. I wonder how much we call church just reminds people every week how sinful they really are. That's the Old Testament, how sinful you really were. For, listen to what it says, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or offerings for sin. So I said, Look, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the Scriptures. For Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law. Then he said, Look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. Here it comes. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Listen, this is mind-blowing. Once for all time. Come on. Come on. Once for all time. I love this. Go on down. Go down to verse 17. So then he says, I will never again... Remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no more need for sacrifice. 
I wonder how much time religiously is spent telling people how terrible and sorry they are, how sinful they are. And the Lord says, look, I've already forgiven your sins. I've already called you holy by my blood. I've already died for you. I've already paid your guilty price and took your punishment. All I'm simply waiting on is for you to turn. That word is called repent. For you to turn to me. And when you turn to me, you're already forgiven. When you turn to me, I I will offer you life. You see, the only thing that God has now that you may not have, He already has forgiveness for you. The shame is already done. He's already done that. The price has already been paid. Already done that. The punishment was already taken. All had done that. Then what does He want me to do? He wants you to come and He wants you to hold out the life. And He wants to say, here's my life. Take my life. Now all three of them are done. Watch, I want to put them together. All three, the shame, done. The punishment and guilt, done. Where was that done? At the cross of Jesus Christ. The shame and the punishment was taken care of at the cross. Nothing you can do about it, whether you believe it or not, already done. You don't get forgiven, you already are. It's an already accomplished fact. You are forgiven now. Not when you ask Him to forgive you. Right now, you're forgiven already. So what is left? The third thing is left. What is the third thing? The guilt the shame, the third thing is death. And now God holds and says, now the third thing, okay, how does God give me the third thing? By simply confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. He offers now unto you eternal life. How beautiful is that? The shame has been taken care of. The guilt has been taken care of. And now He just holds life out to you today and says, if you but believe, If you'll just believe, Mark, there it is. If you just believe. How much of this thing we call Christianity is just spent with rules and rituals and shame and guilt. No wonder people don't want to come to church today. Like, I live enough failure already. But for somebody to look you in the face right now and they know, listen, What if right now every secret of your sin, everything, every dark thought, every secret thing you've done suddenly popped up on the screen? Everything. Every URL, every hidden website, every picture, every thought, every word you've ever said suddenly just popped on the screen. And we just sat back and said, we'll be here at about 3 o'clock. We're going to check everybody out. Here we go. Do you know your first prayer would be, Oh God, don't let my picture pop up first. And then the moment the first person popped up, we would all be going like, Oh, ooh, wow. Oh, mm. And then we'd kind of look over at him like, Ugh. And then immediately we would start thinking, Uh-oh, I'm next. Oh God, I hope it's not me. But then we do what all of us do. Once we see a really bad picture, we're like, Oh, well, mine won't be that bad. That's a shock factor there. So at least when they see mine, they'll still be thinking about her. (laughs) But what if I told you if I put every sinful thought, everything you've ever done in secret, everything, and I paraded it across this whole congregation this morning and said, there's your shame. Do you know why? With every embarrassing thing there, he says, why are you so bothered by it? I've already forgiven you. When they beat me, I forgave you. It doesn't shock me that you had that thought. I've already forgiven it. It doesn't shock me that you did that when you were a girl. I've already forgiven you. 
I hold nothing against you. Then what do you want out of me, God? I just simply want you to come. Freely. For what? Because I want you to belong to me. I want to give you my life now. That, people, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the resurrection did. That three days in the grave was to end the shame. Second day in the grave, end the guilt and punishment. Third day in the grave, here's my life. First day in the grave, no more shame. Second day in the grave, no more guilt and punishment. Third day from the grave, here's my life. That is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I will inform you of this. There is no rule you can keep to get the shame away. There is nothing you can do to make shame leave. The only way shame leaves is you have to take it back to the cross and say, I have been forgiven. And then you have to begin to step into this new life of Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit begin to live through you and the Holy Spirit will lead you into everything you need to do to bring pleasure to your Heavenly Father. Bow your heads. I want to pray for you. While your heads are bowed, Maybe you're here today and you're in shame. You're thinking about your past failures. You constantly live with, am I good enough for God? Does He really like me? Mark, I've blown it again and again and again. It seems like every time I tell God I'm done with this, it crops back up three months later. I can't seem to shake it. I feel like I've just disappointed God so bad. And you've just beaten yourself up. I don't know who that is, but you've just beaten yourself up. It's so hard for you to find freedom because you're so used to the shame. The shame has become your mark like Cain. The shame has become on your forehead. The shame is something you wear. As a matter of fact, you're too embarrassed to tell anybody about your life because you're afraid of how they'll label you. You don't want anybody to know you struggle. You don't want anybody to know that sin. You're shamed because religion has shamed you. I'm here today to tell you freedom is in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're going to make Believer's Church your home, but I tell you if you do, I won't shame you for sin. I'll just remind you to keep going back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I'll help you find the Holy Spirit power to live it out so you can walk free every single day. Would you leave it today, that shame? Would you lay that mark down at His feet today? Would you truly believe on Resurrection Sunday that when He died for you, He died for your punishment? He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to make you sick. He's not trying to give you some disease to teach you something. He's not telling you if you'll jump through all these hoops, I'll love you more. He loved you before you were born. He loved you when you messed up. And He loves you today. And He's never quit loving you. He's never quit loving you. And now all he's asking you is, well, would you just come home? But shame keeps us from coming home. Because I'm afraid I'm going to be judged. I'm afraid I'm, the judgment was already on him. The judgment went on his back. Would you just come home? Would you stop beating yourself up? Every time you want to beat yourself up, would you remind yourself they beat him? Your beating is on him. Don't beat yourself up anymore. So today, what do I do? I just simply say, would you turn to God today? And would you come home? Would you let Him put a robe of righteousness on you today? Would you let Him put a ring on your finger today? Would you let Him kiss you and call you His own? 
You don't even have to clean up. Just come. There's an old hymn years ago we used to sing, Just as I am, without one plea, that thy blood was shed for thee, O Lamb of God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.